you, 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 you are about to experience Vegas bad boys of podcasting. Fortunately, you are about to hear lots of opinions, but uh, rarely any facts. Impersonations might occur, but uh, good luck trying to figure them out. This program is not intended for kids or the easily offended. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. You press play. It's too late to stop. Get ready to podcast. Hey everybody, Bad Boys Podcasting here. Matt Michaels with Sin City Steve and Simon Street. And once again, DJ Impact is still on a quest to find his fuzzy white slippers. Hopefully he will be back next week and have his feet back in a comfortable, comfortable pair of slippers. I know he could just buy another pair, but decided to go all the way to Dallas to uh, find him this week. So... Hopefully they're down there, Uh, but this is three count. We got three topics for you this week from the world of professional wrestling. And we're going to start with uh, the first one here. This is count number one. And this count comes from uh, the Wrestling Observer Figure Four Online with the great writers, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez. Uh, It is uh, actually by Brian Rose. Um, and his story entitled Jury Finds in Favor of Randy Orton Tattoo Artist in Lawsuit Against WWE and Take Two Interactive. Uh, jury ruled in favor of a tattoo artist over WWE and those behind WWE 2K video game series, finding that the defendants infringed on her copyrights when her tattoos were used for Randy Orton's model in the video game. PW Insider reported Friday that the jury, based in the U.S. District Court, Southern District of Illinois, had found that the defendants failed to prove that the tattoos were fair use, and Catherine Alexander, the plaintiff, was right in going for damages. Two other rulings by the jury determined that Alexander was entitled to just $3,750 for the usage of her designs in the game. The defendants in the trial included WWE publisher of the 2K series Take-Two Interactive Software, 2K Games Inc., 2K Sports Inc., and developers Visual Concepts Entertainment, Ukes Company Limited, and Ukes LA Inc. Judge Stacey M. Yandel ruled on September 26th WWE and Take-Two had copied five of Alexander's tattoos that she held valid trademarks on. Alexander was denied a summary judgment, and instead, a jury decided the amount of damages. Alexander originally filed suit in 2018, saying that she performed the tattoo work on Orton between 03 and 08. She had previously contacted WWE about material featuring her work, saying that WWE offered her a $450 fee for the rights. According to the suit, she rejected the offer and told WWE that plaintiff did not grant any permission to copy WWE, uh, permission to, to WWE to copy her, duplicate her, or otherwise use, reproduce any of the plaintiff's designs. So, in the end, you know, you look at this story, and um, it's a win for the artist for uh, Randy's tattoos. Simon Street, this is your uh, story, and uh, 
don't you get into what your perception was and why you uh, thought this was an important story this week? You know, I thought it was an important story because, you know, we actually had it for a three count a while back, like way while back. And we all were kind of flabbergasted, like, okay, good luck. But um, I guess this was based not so much on monetary gains, but everything on based on principle. Because if she's only getting $3,000-something, I know for her to pursue this the way she did, she spent more than she got back. So it had to be principled. But um, I, I wanted to share this because if you think about it, this does kind of open up the door the way, you know, for moving forward, how video games are, particularly wrestling video games. Um, and what it looked like is the correct communication wasn't done, you know, um, and that's on the part of Ukes. Now, we know Ukes had a tendency to not do a lot of things right. And there's nothing bad against them. It's just businesses do that. And so in this case, I think moving forward, you're going to start seeing, you know, any entity, make sure they check everything from music to uh, potential, you know, footage that they may have used, checking all sources, making sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Um, but big up to, to her. I mean, Catherine Alexander, I got a chance to kind of look up her tattoo, and I do believe, uh, you know, she has a pretty reputable uh, business, you know, um, and this is really going to be a feather in her cap locally in the state of Illinois um, moving forward because, you know, uh, Randy Orton has some very impressive tattoos as far as wrestling fans have ever seen, but also, too, it's just like, man, like, obviously it's worth fighting over court. I wouldn't mind getting a tattoo. So, you know, overall, I wanted to bring it up because I never thought I would have saw this story come back up in the way. Sure. Um, Steve, when you when you read that, um, you know, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, quick, we got John here who says in the chat room, this seems very millennial and new times. And when has this ever been a thing in the past when tattoos have been used in various media? Seems like the McDonald's spilled hot coffee lawsuit of our times. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, it's, it's one of those things where obviously, you know, the economy is not the greatest right now. People are struggling a little bit. Uh, or a lot, depending on your situation. And so when uh, when push comes to shove, people will, you know, they they're gonna want it. They're gonna want their their piece of the pie. They're gonna want um, they're gonna want what they're owed. Uh, and they're gonna find things uh, that they are that they feel like as if they should be you know paid for or reimbursed for. Um, so it, it realistically, I think that it is a sign of the times that, you know, we are pinching pennies as a collective. Um, and I think that, you know, artists, uh, this, this definitely does set a precedent because there is now legal precedent for this kind of royalty to be paid out to these artists. Um, so I think that you're going to see a tidal wave of, of lawsuits. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but... I I, per, I, fl I firmly believe that this does nothing but open the door for that kind of a thing. Um, and, you know, if, if somebody wants to make money off of art on someone else's body, you know what? I'm okay with it at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is. You know, what's really interesting is the fact that Will there be a floodgate because of the fact that the monetary 
value award it was so low. I So I think that ultimately it's going to come down to this first case uh, establishes legal precedence. So going forward, yeah, I, I, I don't think that um, there's going to be, you know, this mystique behind it, or I don't think that there's going to be this dangling carrot, if you will. Uh, I think that people are going to see that she got paid, you know, next to nothing for that. And yeah, now it, it will be a choice, you know, will people want to, to press the issue? Um, and especially, are they going to be able to find, you know, a lower cost representation to make it worth it? That's going to be the key thing. Um, and for those of you listening who couldn't see it, when Steve said the dangling carrot, the QR code did come up for the rabbit, the white rabbit here on our <laughs> show. So please check out the video and go to that QR code and you'll get more clues about the white rabbit and what's going on. Um, one of the things that I, I saw when I read this when I, or thought when I read this that I thought was the door possibly opening to something that becomes ridiculous. And that is this. For all the artists who have provided tattoos, that's one thing. But how about all those artists who have designed costumes for the wrestlers mm. that are used in the games? So, and it's unique to wrestling because if it's an NBA game and you got players with tattoos, okay, they can go after that. But everything else in that game is all NBA uh, justified, right? It's all approved through the NBA. So wrestling is in a unique situation where it's just like, you know, to me, the tattoos are essentially part of your character, so if that's the case, then some of the costume designers out there could go after royalties uh, for the video games as well. Um, so it's an interesting door that I don't think anyone ever expected to see kind of opened. Um, but at the same time, we didn't see uh, that coming back in the, I think it was the mid-2000s when, um, when I think it was... Uh, Barnes, uh, former UCLA player, uh, you know, was going after residuals for using the likeness of, of Matt Barnes in a video game. And so that was a case that really kind of opened doors a little bit for players to at least get something for their likeness being used with that. Maybe the artists will get more uh, in the future when they, uh, you know, have, a, a, you know, the Undertaker alone would have probably a couple, you know, hundred thousand dollars worth of tattoo copyrights. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? So, but it's going to be interesting to uh, see. Now, UCLA, John, UCLA, buddy, UCLA basketball, UCLA. Trust me, I I, I was hanging out with the guys back then. So, <laughs> that's right. All right, let's move on to the next story. Uh, this comes from uh, comicbook.com, and uh, it's report update on Tony Khan possibly releasing AEW talent. Uh, this was by Connor Casey on September 27th. Uh, prior to 2022, AEW releases were few and far between. Uh, of course, rumors, reports of wrestling, uh, wrestlers wanting out of their contracts and allegedly chaotic backstage environment, and WWE reaching out to former stars about their AEW deals 
have been spreading like wildfire over the past few months. However, it now appears that people should pump the brakes on the idea that the young promotion is suddenly going to start letting many of its stars go. Buddy Matthews took to Twitter this past weekend and promptly denied the recent reports he had been granted his release, and Malachi Black did the same late Monday night on Instagram Live. Many of the previous reports claim AEW's front office was sticking to a policy that if a wrestler doesn't want to be in the company, then they should be allowed to leave. But according to Dave Meltzer, <clears throat> via the latest Wrestling Observer Radio, that's not actually the case. Quote, nobody's getting released. That's the doctrine. Tony Khan made that very clear, I guess, in the last couple of days. So now it's just Malachi Black's not being released. Buddy Matthews isn't being released. Now they may be back sooner than before, Meltzer said. Uh, to continue that quote, it's not to say it's hard and fast. <clears throat> and there'd be no way they'd ever give anybody a release, but... I think it's pretty much the deal that if this happened in the other company, would those people get releases? And the answer is no. They signed the contract, so basically now their option is to sit at home. And Khan can extend the contract if they sit at home or wrestle, so now they're going to wrestle. The biggest departure from AEW remains Cody Rhodes, who left the promotion alongside his wife Brandy back in February. While it's still unclear what the disagreement between Rhodes and Khan was that led to the American Nightmares departure, Khan said at the time that he chose not to exercise the, addition, uh, the additional year option on Rhodes's contract. Uh, and it goes on to have Tony talking about Cody's situation and not wanting to go deep into discussing it. Um, to go along with that, at the same time this week, uh, this came from AEW News uh, on, on ringsidenews.com. This was uh, back on September 30th, so this is just a couple days later. Uh, Miro vents his frustrations with AEW. Miro used to work under the name Rusev in the WWE during his time in the company. Miro simply did not have a good time there, all the way to his release as well. Following WWE's release a couple of years ago, Miro debuted in AEW in September 9th, 2020, episode of Dynamite. Uh, Miro hasn't been seen since All Out, and he hasn't wrestled on Dynamite for a few months. Miro took to Twitter and vented his frustrations with AEW at not even mentioning him in a tweet regarding his Sammy, Sammy Guevara beating Miro for the TNT title. Uh, and basically... Uh, AEW tweeted on this day in AEW history, Sammy Guevara handed Miro his first AEW singles loss to win the TNT Championship on AEW Dynamite. Uh, they had at Sammy Guevara and, of course, just the word Miro. And so he tweeted back, you didn't even have the balls to at me. Which I think, to me, is one of the greatest statements. You didn't have the balls to at me. And that, for me, uh, sums up this uh, article fairly well. Um, man, it's really strange because when all these guys got released from WWE, I think the fans immediately anticipated, oh, shit, this person's going to sign with AEW. This person's going to sign. This person's going to sign. 
And we saw a good majority of those guys sign. What we haven't seen is the result of a lot of those guys signing. And I think that Miro's frustration to me is absolutely 100% on top of my list because it's my same frustration with the guy. And that is, he's a monster. He could be used in a great way. Um, listen, if you're if you're the WWE and you were booking Miro versus Wardlow, holy shit, that would be spectacular. But it doesn't seem like Tony has that kind of, I guess, mind in terms of looking at how he can book certain things. Um, and I, of course, I laugh here. Because I just look up and I see John uh, in the chat saying, Marco's stunt got screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Marco's stunt got screwed. That's great. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting to see that, you know, a guy like Miro can say that. And he's going to be sitting at home still. And then you got guys apparently asking for releases. And they're going to be sitting at home or potentially wrestling. And the thing is, is if they wrestle, is that going to be helpful to them? Because if you're putting the shine on other guys, then these guys are going to get the same treatment they got in WWE, which is fans like them, but there's no room for them to, you know, develop them. So they're just going to have them lose matches or enter stupid storylines. And unfortunately, that's what we might see happening. Um, you know, Simon, before we go to to Steve, because he's, you know, really in tune with AEW. Simon, when you look at the idea of all these wrestlers who, <laughs> you know, were sitting home one day and saw on their phone this message coming up saying Vince McMahon was forced out. Mm. Now do you go, holy shit, how do I get in contact with those guys? Is this your way of of going, you know what? I like it here. The people are nice. But over there, I could probably be pulling down a little bit more in terms of the exposure if I want to go on to other things in the entertainment industry, how do, how do you see that in terms of this mindset? And is Tony right by keeping them uh, under contract? Well, I'll answer the latter question with that pair that you gave me. And I think that Tony should keep them under contract because that's just what better business is now. I mean, obviously if you can cut ties and it's not a big uh, gain for WWE in that instance, or it's a situation to where it's just too much of a hassle for you to keep them on or you don't have work for them. I, I get that. But to answer the first question that you said, I, I do sincerely believe that when they realize that Vince McMahon is gone, Dunzo, Triple H was in charge. A lot of them, particularly people who were quite successful in NXT that got to the main roster and basically weren't doing much, but weren't being utilized much. I'm pretty sure they were thinking about it very, very sincerely. However, one thing I will say is this, regardless of what happens, you have to still maintain a certain amount of professionalism. And part of that professionalism is staying and honoring your contract. It is a crappy situation. I get it. Um, there are some rumors about AEW's 
um, I wouldn't say demise, but I would say downfall and wondering, can they pivot? Can they make some structural moves to better fix some of these issues? But that doesn't mean the ship per se is sunk. There's some holes, but the ship ain't sunk. And you could find yourself creating a very bad rep for yourself that you jumped the ship when you could have stayed and got utilized. What's to say that Tony Khan, let's just say if I was one of these people and I want to get the hell out of Dodge and go back to WWE, yes, could I have a bigger possible impact based on my time at NXT and me getting utilized and understanding creative staff and how everything works there, right? I could go back. However, the landscape has changed. And now other people that you were toe-to-toe with are getting a big name. You may get the same issue, mind you, that these people, when they left WWE, went to uh, AEW. They weren't getting utilized. They thought they they were going to be in the land of the promise with bread and butter and and just fit right in. Not everybody can transition. We learned this with sports. We learned this with colleges to pros. We learned this with people who were great on stage actors but could not translate great to sitcom or movies. This is something across the board. And so I would say I sure to have hope that they keep their professionalism Wait for their time. Things will fit into place on where you need to be, whether your success is going to be garnered at AEW if you stay, or if one day it doesn't work for AEW and they cut you loose before your contract's up, you go to uh, WWE, and hey, you get something brand new. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, you know, I've said this over the past few years. Um, a lot of those guys, the problem is is that the fans treat these guys like they're world champions but they're not these guys are your mid card or your solid mid card are your intercontinental and your tnt champions right your u.s champion these are the guys who are the backbone of the show your your kevin owens your sammy zanes right you know we talked a lot in wrestling talk about how valuable those guys are right now and the idea here that a guy like andrade who john uh pointed out in the chat uh, he, you know, he even looks like he's trying to get fired right now. And he did the same thing in WWE. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Did. So it's like, okay, now I understand. Oh, if you do want to get fired, you want to go back and you'll be with your wife. And all right, that's great. But it, it, it is very interesting. Steve, um, you know, again, you're, you're a big AEW fan. Um, what What is it that a situation like this puts – Tony Khan into because from all reports the one thing Co- Tony Khan does not like to do is um, essentially m- make enemies of the guys that he really he just wants to be friends with so you know that's a bad position for him to be in as a boss as well because when you're trying to be buddy buddy with the boys and now you have the Rocky Waters what happens with you as an owner? How, how do you think his position is in this uh, whole, you know, idea of, hey, boss, uh, you've been great, but I'd like to seek other opportunities. So I think that this is something that we've been talking about on and off for the last couple of years. Um, and we've been we've been able to see this coming from a mile away, that this exact thing would happen. Um mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with uh, John's last couple of comments. Uh, his latest one saying Tony doesn't like telling his friends no. 
Uh, I think that obviously that just take a look at, at what the day-to-day is with AEW seemingly. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I'll mention is uh, John also had another comment that I really want to put out here for everybody to hear. These times are showing that wrestlers are believing their own press clippings, thinking they're a bigger draw than they really are. Um, here's the here's the the realest shit that I can that I could possibly say. And you you started to allude to it, Michaels, that you know these are the upper mid card guys. Um, these are people that yes, we envisioned a future. Um, I, I, I'll definitely admit it, you know, when Miro was endeavored, when Alistair Black was future endeavored, um, I was, I, I definitely was optimistic if they would go to another place and I thought that they would be used properly. Um, obviously that has not happened. Okay. Um, realistically speaking, uh, they did each sign long-term deals. And we know that WWE, they, if you sign a contract with WWE, it's a one-sided contract because they can fire you and future endeavor you for any reason whatsoever. Right. Um, so that's, that's one thing that, you know, I've always had a big problem with. Um, but in a situation like what AEW has and what, what Tony has fostered, you know, he's kept guys in their contract term without putting them on TV, you know, it, in the event of people uh, that they could have future endeavored and gotten off the books, uh, he's, you know, made sure that they were continually getting paid for their entire contract term. Um, even if they're staying at home, yes, they're not working, but people like, like a Marco stunt, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, they well, weren't being used. But, but the question, like, so a guy like that, that's a great example. Yeah. The question becomes this. I can understand Miro, right? Miro goes to WWE. You're giving them back a, a you know, a chip question. they could yeah. p- potentially use. But a guy like Marco Stunt, if you're not going to use him, the thing is, is that now he, if he was given a release he could get more money now for his bookings on the independence quicker. So it's kind of a weird position to be in too, because there are so many guys on that roster that are essentially, if they are released, they are potentially indie darlings more so than anything else. Right? So you have almost two tiers. And that's the interesting thing because everyone likes to focus on the big, you know, the big tier, but it's that smaller tier that in the end, could that possibly be the, you know, the downside of when you had all these guys pushed in the middle and signed that it took that focus away from trying to take these independent wrestlers and make them TV stars. Right. Right. So that's, I mean, it's an interesting question. Uh, Do either you guys see that, you know, that potential of, and, and let's, let's be honest right now. If you look at a lot of the guys, um, most of these guys who are on that level, 
are all just being put on dark and that's right. it right yeah so, so well go oh go ahead go ahead sin city okay so basically the, the the thing that i was kind of working toward um when all these guys got let go from wwe i know that i personally went into it with an an attitude and a thought process that okay if they go somewhere else and they're used properly then they can get to the next level but did i think that a lot of them could walk in right then right at the time that they were released from wwe and be a walk-in main eventer for most of them no they're only they're only a very 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 few that could do that uh personally i think that miro is one of those I, I firmly believe that you could put Miro into a world championship program right now, and you could have him go up against John Moxley. Um, obviously, you're going to have to feed him people to build him up, but yeah, I, I, I definitely could see him and keep him at that level as well. But yeah, it, it's all about tempering expectations. But yeah, it's you know, Simon. Let me ask you really quick because you just said feed Steve, and it just again and i said his name earlier and it didn't even register so we're talking about these guys who might have been with the wwe might want out of their contracts again but then you say feed and it makes me think wardlow and the question is for you simon you got a guy like that where is he what are you doing with him man he's your tnt champ so that should be a, a highlighted belt. And yet we are, we are getting nothing. They are, they're doing nothing with this man. They're giving us MJF sitting with a fucking chip, but they're not giving us the guy who essentially beat the, beat the guy off of TV just a few mm -hmm. months ago. So, so what do you think about those guys who might be in the position of maybe not wanting to release right now, but are going to be coming up within the next two years. I think it's real simple. Um, and you've alluded to this many, many a times. I think the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems AEW has, our challenges, is not having a developmental system. Because a developmental system, you can draw experience, you can draw direction, even with somebody that per se, you know, their setup might be different than an NXT at WWE, right? So they would be able to have some more direction of what to do with a or with a Wardlow in that direction. But I also want to bring one thing or counter a little bit of a question, but still answering yours is we always talk about a developmental system for a lot of these upper mid carters or mid carters or you know people that came that could have been in WWE but didn't quite make it, right? Have we really ever really looked at some of the EVPs or some of the staff, including Tony Khan, as maybe they need a developmental system on how to run a company? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying that they you can have an idea how to run a company. And yes, you can eventually, if you're witty enough, catch the mistakes you're making, try to fix them before they repeat themselves and compact and make more problems for you. But have we really even thought about it? And I know you've talked about it a lot, Michaels, how inexperienced of TK and some of his things. But I'm saying, like, okay, you have Regal over there. How many years was Regal with WWE working in the back office? I went, That was one of the ones that I will be highly critical when AEW acquired William Regal. 
I'll say, okay, business is going to start picking up. We're going to start seeing that. And that's not to say that AEW has not. I'm saying in the department of he worked hands-on with the developmental system of NXT. You have a lot of people there. Now, maybe that's already reworking in play. I don't know what the case is. But you had a lot of veterans there even before William Rogel. And I'm still not seeing that. So, again, is it just because everybody wanted to get together and have this idea of AEW? Or people now starting to realize that there's much more to this. There's way much more facet to it. you know. And maybe, for whatever the case may be, yes, WWE has its issues in the past. Now that some of those issues are gone, but even still, it was a legitimate issue. But the one thing we could say about WWE is they had a way to facilitate and create talent. They had that. Whether they want to pick and choose them, they knew how to do it. And I think that's what AEW is going to continue to struggle. Steve, fair to say that when AEW started and you had Cody and the Bucks and Omega and Hangman essentially starting this, they were looking at themselves as the ones who were going to be able to control this new product, right? Tony gets involved. TK comes in with money and basically for the first few months or so it is the uvps essentially running the company then tony now starts to seem to be the one kind of coming forward as being the booker of the shows and when that starts happening it almost seems as that's when the split happened between cody and the bucks and and omega where now those guys the you know bucks and omega and, and peach they saw the value of buddying up with Tony. And Cody, I don't think did, because T Cody Rhodes is one of those hard-headed dudes, right? And I think that, you know, they kind of took that inside track, and it seems like that's what undercut and basically might have led to Cody leaving, right? At the same time, it seems like those guys then all of a sudden went, uh-oh, CM Punk seems to be Tony Khan's best friend now. And you got that conflict. And it almost seems like the problem is, is that the boss, the paycheck writer, the guy who put down Vince McMahon more than anyone else, even though he tends to copy what Vince is doing or has done, he won't let go of really what he should let go of, and that's the booking. Let guys like William Regal do the actual booking. They've still got a Rhodes in that company. And I'll tell you right now, if you put Dustin in charge of the book, I think that you automatically now jump a little more. Regal, Dustin. Um, fuck, you got Sting there. You know, let these guys use that experience. Big Show, Mark Henry. There are so many people. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's it, it, Scoop just chimed in. Very good chime. The lack of leadership, not physical leaders, but the idea of leadership is crazy. And I think that Absolutely. that seems to be if Tony was the the money man, the money mark and the guy who would take care of discipline, would take care of, you know, uh, the internal problems they're having with booking flights or blah, blah, you know, 
anyone could come to him with the to solve this problem. That's one thing. But he seems to be so focused on the show that it just it makes it hard to be the boss when you're only three years in as compared to, you know, old Vinnie Mac and his 40 years of experience, you know, leading up to him getting fired. Um, Can, yeah, go ahead. I want guys. to add something real quick, because as you were saying that, the one thing that I thought about is, you know, if you get an opportunity to learn from someone that, like you said, Vince McMahon, or someone has had a business for a long time, you learn the power of delegation. And delegation is just telling somebody what to do. It's grooming somebody and cultivating somebody or other constituents to be able to carry out tasks. And I think that's something that TK has. Now, we don't know if TK has somebody that's involved with the money and saying, no, you need to do this and this. And for him, he's like, well, fine, I'm going to take over everything because it's basically my, my bankroll. But at the end of the day, here's the problem. You can't do it all. And even this man, yeah, he may have had the power of veto, but he did not do it all. He had people that he put in place that he could delegate. And I think that's a huge thing that we're maybe possibly seeing is TK's inexperience of not being able to have proper people delegate. Yeah. And John said to Scoop, uh, to reply to Scoop, again, uh, inmates running the asylum, which is, is very interesting. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts uh, since, uh, you know, AEW? And, and we'll talk about AEW here in one more second. But yeah. Any final thoughts on this? Uh, not really. I mean, it, again, we, we saw this coming, and now we're starting to see it happen. And our third uh, count here does come uh, from Cage Side Seats, um, and this was uh, October 1st. Uh, AEW promises not to lose focus on wrestling in New Era. During this week's broadcast, Dynamite commentary mentioned it being a new era for AEW. The remark was a bit vague and had fans wondering what was being referenced specifically. It could have been referring to new champions. John Moxley was fresh on his third reign as AEW world champion. Chris Jericho won the Ocho when dethroning Claudio as ROH world champion and the acclaimed scissored all night long in honor of winning the AEW tag titles. Jesus. Um, <laughs> there was also a shift in format for the episode with several long form live promo segments. The Chris, uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society celebrated their success. Wheeler Yuta called out MJF and Soraya told the world that AEW is her house. Uh, although she was apparently nervous about getting the keys to her house. Uh, <laughs> fan reaction for those three segments varied widely from super entertaining to terribly boring more importantly it had fans wondering if the new era comment referred to a heavier focus on these types of promo segments for fans of aew's product inside the ropes rest assured that aew will not lose focus on wrestling tony khan stated as much he pointed out in a tweet that this episode was the first show with three lengthy live promos since december 9th 2020 uh khan declared both instances required the segments to address important story news to follow up on supercards. Uh, Tony's tweet was Wednesday's AEW Dynamite after Grand Slam was the first Dynamite with three lengthy live promo segments in one show since 12 9 20 following Winter is Coming. 
Both 12920 plus this week needed these promos to follow up on newsworthy supercards. I promise we won't lose focus on the wrestling. Uh, this, The author of this article says, in my opinion, Khan's not wrong in his assessment. All three promos helped advance the future directions. Uh, the JAS angle directly set up next week's tag bout between Jericho and Sammy Guevara and Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia. It also set the mood for Jericho's wild rage towards destroying ROH's honor and also cha challenging Danielson to a title defense on October 12th in Toronto, Canada. Yuta and MJF picked up on their business from last week when MJF shoved beloved Tony Schiavone. The verbal exchange set up a singles bout for next week. Sarai debuted last week without speaking on the mic, and she could have used the same thing this week. So, of course, the world wanted to hear what she had to say. That segment also added a lumberjack stipulation for Tony Storm's successful title defense against Serena Deeb and planted the seeds for forming a woman's trio bout for Dynamite, in which uh, this coming Wednesday we'll see Tony Storm, Athena, and Willa Nightingale take on Jamie Hayter, Serena Deeb, and Penelope Ford. Uh, and then it says, Khan appear, appears to be living up to his word very quickly. Next week's episode of Dynamite looks back to form. The usual bing, bang, boom style. Six matches already booked. And the lone live promo segment listed is for National Scissoring Day. Uh, and just, again, it's going to be uh, Jericho and Sammy Guevara versus Brian Danielson and uh, Daniel Garcia. Uh, Hangman Page versus Roosh, Tony Storm, Athena, and Willow versus uh, Hater, uh, Serena, Penelope Ford, with Soraya being in Storm uh, in those girls' corners there, and Britt Baker being in uh, the corner of uh, Hater and, and those uh, women there, and MJF versus Yuta, and of course, Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal, which, yeah. But uh, most importantly, it does say luchasaurus is in action that damn dinosaur so steve can't, can't keep them dead or extinct <laughs> it's your article man um you know uh what do you think about is it overreaction to seeing this um this past week or, or is it something to kind of think that this might seep a little bit more into AEW's programming so i mean ultimately this week was definitely I, I i noticed how the show dragged comparatively to other weeks um and the major difference was the fact that there were promos now the uh the matches that i saw this past week were were very solid dynamite was was very good in ring um and you know we already talked about that stuff in wrestling talk uh if you didn't listen to wrestling talk wait finish up this show then go back and listen to wrestling talk because yeah some good stuff there but ultimately i think that um yeah this this past show of dynamite um it started off at a 1.2 million viewer mark with the jas in-ring promo and that that show proceeded to just fall off a cliff the yeah. uh the jericho versus bandito match did 795,000 viewers after the yep. show starting at 1.2 million. Yeah. They lost half their viewership. So, you know, you can, you can say what you will about 
it possibly being affected by the hurricane bullshit. Um, I, I, there, there are those people that are going to say that online and I, I can understand that thought process, but no, that, that number is way too massive to be impacted by an event. Yes, it is a natural disaster. Yes, it is a serious thing, but on the macro level, I don't feel that that instance will, you know, drag a show's rating down by nearly half. Well, and Steve, to just to solidify your point, um, I did see a graphic that actually had a uh, line by line comparison of the breakdown of the hours with or the segments even um, with comparing it to last week's. And the same thing happened where when they start the show, they've got a million plus. And by the end of the show, now this week was way lower than last week. I think last week they were probably around eight, eight hundred, five thousand, or eight, eight, eight hundred, five thousand, somewhere around there. Um, but it does show a trend that even when there is a little more wrestling, um, they're still having trouble finding that balance of what keeps the viewers to make that number at least stay close or makes a dip for a little bit, but then comes up by the end of the show. Because we know when you want to talk wrestling wars, WCW was brilliant at having the top of their show huge and the end of their show huge. So, you know, is that something that, you know, you see as something that they really have to just, they have to keep trying to almost experiment with to find that right formula to keep that audience um, essentially eyes glued to the TV throughout the two hours. Yeah, I think they definitely need to have some experimentation with the format and with what they're doing. Um, And for the love of God, please just have somebody else directing rampage. I mean, I don't want rampage to look like dynamite part two, Um, have it shot differently, you know, use different camera angles, um, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I, I, I have to applaud AEW in that they are trying different things. Um, now whether all those things are working, we all know that they're not, but some things are working. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a kind of a dull period right now. And, um, it's, it's one of those things that they have to find a way out. And the only way to do it is just to try new things. So throw shit on the wall, see what sticks, but get the focus back in ring. Uh, Simon, when you hear that, um, and you look at this overall, do you think that that is something that almost that, that Tony needs to kind of look at that idea of why are we losing the eyes throughout the show and why are we not getting eyes back for certain matches that we figure are big matches like a Jericho versus Roosh. Now, I will give the one thing that I think that is the downfall for Tony Khan and that he he doesn't really understand that when you have someone that nobody has heard of outside of your 500,000, you know, Mark audience who knows who Roosh is, 
and you don't develop them, you don't promote them, and you just have them come wrestle the main event against your ROH champion, which is not even your top belt. Does that even sound like it's, you know, like there might be something in that to look at that and go, okay, that was a huge misstep. You know, how do you correct these things that seem to be um, just playing into the fact that the audience just loses interest? I think a lot can be said by a couple words I'll put out. Passion. It's great to have passion. It's good to have passion. Whatever you do, whatever job you do, have passion, right? Then there's theory, right? The theory of what you want to do, you know, how you see it developed in your head. Then there's vision, right? You see it, how you need it to happen. You add your passion. You add the theory of it. And then there's reality. Reality is something that's based on current time standards, what's expected, what's here now, what has been done historically, so an account. And I think that, last but not least, great note-taking. Tony Khan is not taking good notes, and I think that he needs to have somebody who, and the reason why I say is I'm a horrible note-taker. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm great in so many things. When it comes to note-taking, I'm so glad I have somebody on my team that can actually take notes because it's a, it's a great skill to have. You focus on what's important, not on what isn't. You highlight when it's improvements. What are you doing good and what are ways can we maximize that and make that consistent versus just focusing on what you're not doing wrong? It's easy if you think about it. If you're doing something wrong, let's just say, since uh, Steve, you talked about Rampage, right? How, and you've said this before. Rampage should not be an extension of Dynamite. You are not alone. I guarantee it. Even among the smart marks, that is AEW's larger population group. That's something, okay, if that's the case, don't go back to that. Do something totally different, right? Do something totally different. And I think that sometimes Tony Khan is just focusing on trying to, okay, I need to fix this. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. I mean, if he is any... If his work ethic is anything like his attention span, it's all over the place. You know, and I think that he really needs to have the proper people. I think right now there's enough talent to keep even the best AEW uh, uh, fans safe. He needs to structure his company, the management. Um, John said a great comment earlier about management. He needs this because I'm telling you, man, uh, if you don't get it under wraps now, you're either going to have a heart attack not because you have a certain drug substance that's an upper in your system, but you're going to have a heart attack because you're trying to do everything and you don't have the right people telling you to stop, slow it down, focus on this one thing. And when you're good at that one thing, then move on to the next thing. Delegate and put people in charge who can help you with stuff, take stuff off your plate. Yeah. Dude, he needs something, man, because like I said, AEW is a very strong potential, great product. A lot of people can do really good. It is, to me, a second option. But, man, bro, you are going to be the downfall solely on you for AEW getting shut down. Not because of the talent. Not because of the TV deals so much. It's because Tony Khan can't do what he thinks everybody else that thinks Vince Man was doing. You are a smart mark because you run a business like a smart mark. Be a businessman. Go back to school. Take a class. Go watch some YouTube videos because you're going to get a lot better than what you're doing now. 
Just because you got the money don't mean you have the direction. Hell, reach out to me. I'd love to help run your company. Uh, And I do have a degree that goes into it. I'll just reiterate a point we've made many a times. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars. (laughs) Amen. Hey, hey, it could be worse. You the three and one. Three and Look, one, I know, right? Hold on, hold on. It could be worse. You could be running your business like the Miami Dolphins, soon to be tuna fish special. Chris Nowitzki, uh, actually, uh, yep. this week, mm-hmm. coming in and saying how this is uh, horrible and uh, this is bullshit that the NFL needs to stop this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a very interesting scenario. Um you know the 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 question here is wrestling versus um, live promo segments. Um, the there there's two things. One, um, Steve uh, in wrestling talk did state that he thought um, the Jericho Society uh, was a very entertaining segment for him, and I thought it was kind of a killer um, to start off the show like that. And I sounded like an AEW fan <laughs> talking about Raw. Because that's how Raw was starting out for years. So, you know, sometimes, you know, and then the other thing, and, you know, we, we said, I said Roosh, but um, Juice Robinson was a great example. Um, and guys, even who are legends in Japan, but when you bring an Ishii over here, you know, most American fans don't know who this is and we're not getting enough uh, information on why we should care about these people. And I think that's a shame because a, it shows that yes, these people are legendary, but listen, if you're 22 years old and you see the great Muda come out, what does that do for you? Because you didn't see him wrestle in his prime. It's not like Sting, right? Sting is an iconic American wrestler who had the makeup and stuff and had been on TV pretty much for the most part since 1988. He hasn't been off TV. So you can, you know, pretty much identify who that might be. You might have seen him on a magazine cover in the boom of WCW because they were so mainstream, right? But when you bring in someone like Muda and he's, you know, moving like your grandfather, and the biggest thing he does is spit green mist. Eh? <laughs> it's like, eh? Um, and then the other problem, too, which is very interesting in terms of balancing that entertainment and wrestling, is what we saw with Hook and Action Bronson. What the fuck, guys? you have to you have to really you have to build up something like that more in terms of this is a guy who's never been in a ring never wrestled and quite honestly is probably someone that most people have never really heard of even though he does hooks theme right so if you're going to use celebrities have a build with it or you know at least do it to the point where we invest in that celebrity. Um, I never thought Bad Bunny was going to do anything. I really didn't know who the fuck Bad Bunny was, to be honest. Yeah, just 
just wait until you find out that Roman Reigns is he, facing him at the Rumble. Is what is Bad Bunny's facing Roman Reigns at the Rumble? And you know what? It could very well be right. But what is the one thing that we can say at least? Boy, that dude worked his ass off in the ring, right? It'd be entertaining. Exactly. Keyword. It would be entertaining when you just have this rapper guy who you're just trying to get a pop out of because he's a New York guy and teaming him with arguably a a guy who is still very, very, very green, right? It just makes no sense. And in the bigger picture of things, that's the problem. The problem is, is that you can have entertainment and you can have wrestling, obviously. But we know that the WWE was not finding that connection for the longest period of time. Remove the one problem of Vince and insert Hunter in a creative role, Stephanie in the CEO role, and Nikon in the co-CEO role. Now you have a structure in place like Simon was talking about. And if Tony could do that, if he could just trust someone to take over creative and he could run the business and still hang out with all the fucking boys, then you have a potential. But right now, I think you still have the boys taking advantage of him. And I think you have guys just coming up with ideas and him just going, oh yeah, that sounds great. And then it just turns out to be crappy. Um, so does it need structure? Yeah, but Steve, to your point, I think that at the same time, as long as the fans are still entertained by it, they won't have a problem necessarily. So I, you know, it's it, it is something that the fans, the the diehard AEW fans, they can't lose that base. <laughs> if they start losing that base, exactly. that's the trouble. That's the panic button. That's the, mm-hmm. oh, shit, here comes Vince Russo to save the day. <laughs> so <laughs> what, do do? <laughs> what do we do? Oh, let's bring in Vince Russo. That's every fucking wrestling company's oh. answer to killing their company off. Yeah. Let's bring in Vince because he, he talks like he knows what he's going to do. And then, you know, we've seen it happen a couple of times. So, um Knock on wood. Uh, any final comments on this uh, this topic, guys? We good? We're good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Final thoughts uh, before we head out. Simon Street. Uh, pretty much everybody. Kind of like what I say uh, every week. You know, always take those little extra moments to uh, try and view the world a little bit differently than you did last week. And I say that in the sense of try to look at other people's perspectives and how they interpretate information, whether it be online or whether it be in conversation and always ask yourself the question, what's the best way can I show patience, passion and understanding versus anger, opinions and possibly violence? Was that too deep? Good good thing. Yeah. Good deep thing that we should all think about. Um, Sin City, what do you got, man? Hey, thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, special shout outs to Scoop and to John. Great stuff in the chat. Um, and also, uh, special thank you to all the brave men and women serving this country. 
Either you're serving us on lands, foreign or domestic, thank you for doing what you do so that we can do what we love to do. And uh, last but not least, repsports.com, reppsports.com. Go there for all of your pre-workout, weight loss, and general energy needs. Again, repsports.com. Use promo code VEGAS at checkout and save yourself 15%. And uh, finally, uh, this week we uh, said goodbye to Antonio Inoki, um, a literal giant in the wrestling world. Um, You know, uh, it's very interesting in the days of uh, tape exchanging and wrestling magazines um, when you could only get your Japanese wrestling from those sources. Um, Anoki was one of the biggest deals in the world. Um, you know, the, the guy is, is arguably Japan's Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, just uh, so popular that he actually got into politics. And, you know, he just he matured, you know, the hell out of things, uh, you know, years he he started in 89, 89 to 95, and uh, 13 to uh, 19 in the uh, House, House of Counselors uh, or Conciliars in uh, Japan. So uh, he, he, Jesse Ventura, Jesse, before uh, that was a thing, right? Um, and did the biggest thing that anybody could do in the uh, late 70s, and that was get in the ring with Muhammad Ali. Probably one of the most notable things, um, you know, that he did um, because that I think was the first time that a lot of the American audience got an exposure beyond just wrestling fans who were buying magazines or trading tapes of Japanese wrestling. This was a guy who was um, larger than life. And to put him in the ring with the largest of lives in Muhammad Ali was probably one of the most brilliant moves um, that they came up with. And, uh, you know, the, it's it's great they honored him in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, he was the last of the kind, him and Giant Baba. You know, they'll never be that again. Um and you know new japan just kind of rules the roost now right and there isn't that same competitiveness that i think you know brought about that renaissance where japanese wrestling became so popular in the 90s and so distinguished because those guys were competing against each other so um you know it's it's sad when when we say uh, goodbye to a guy uh, he was only 79 um, that's the other thing that was kind of, you know, it's like, oh man. Um, but, uh, great life, great career. And, uh, now we, uh, we say goodbye to him and, uh, look towards the future, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, Japanese wrestling and, uh, you know, how the industry will be, uh, going forward without that structure that once was there when, uh, you know, guys like Giant Baba and, uh, Anoki ruled the roost in Japan. So uh, hats off to you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in. Again, uh, catch us every Sunday live streaming. And uh, if you're uh, tuning in on the audio podcast, listen to us every week. And uh, make sure you spread the word and let people know that we're out here. And uh, we would appreciate uh, 
you know, any kind words you have to say, uh, leave it in the, uh, the Apple response, uh, the feedback and all that stuff. Uh, it's always good to uh, get a little boost uh, on the, uh, the Apple streaming uh, service. So, all right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, happy wrestling, everybody. Biggest bad boys of podcasting.